I wasn't singing much. I uh, was doing fine until I come up here and got a cold. So I was trying to save my voice to preach. I know you missed my singing, but anyway. <laughs> it was uh, 15 years ago, June 26th, that uh, we packed up and left Falls Baptist and went to Kettering, Ohio, which is a suburb of Dayton, to the Grace Baptist Church. I'm thank, thankful for the years we had here at uh, Falls and the years I had with Pastor Van. Uh, I had been pastoring for 23 and a half years, almost 23 and a half in Glenford where we started a church. And I met Dr. Van Sr. We got to be good friends. I loved him. And uh, he told me what his plans was, what he was thinking about doing, starting a college. And I said, well, Dr. Van, if you're going to think about that, uh, keep me in mind. I'm interested. Because I'd been working with interns for 10 years because I couldn't afford an assistant. So I worked with interns. I wish I'd had an assistant. But anyway, uh, no, it was good working with interns. But I thought, you know, there's something, something missing. There's something missing. And so when uh, Pastor Van was down, had a family conference with, with us, uh, we talked. And uh, we prayed about my involvement. And I remember the phone call. You know, it's one thing to talk about it, right? <laughs> I was sitting in my office minding my own business. <laughs> and the phone rang. It was Dr. Van, and he was asking if I'd be willing to come. And he said, if you come, would you be willing to be a principal of the academy? Now, I thought about working with the college. I said, well, I have to think about that and pray about that. So I had to wrestle with that one for a while. Then I came to the conclusion, if God wants me to go there to work with the college, evidently he wants me to be a principal of the academy. So I said, okay. So I came, and uh, I enjoyed it. I think I worked with the academy four and a half years, and then the last year I was here, I worked just with the college. But I loved it, and I was very busy, but I enjoyed what I was doing. But God began to burn in my heart again about pastoring and preaching, so I began to pray about it. I didn't say much to anybody, just praying about it. And God began to work on me, so it was a year of praying and asking God, Would you, what do you want me to do? And uh, what was happening was a pastor let me go out with the ensemble a couple of summers for a week each time, and I did all the preaching. And then, I forget who was doing the um, homiletics class, I forget who was teaching that, but they stepped down left or something, so I was asked to do the homiletics class. So, uh, boy, that just began to really burn in my heart. And so uh, God did make it clear. I asked him to make it definitely clear on a certain date, and he did. I was preaching out in Colorado at, uh, I forget the guy's name, uh, in his church. And that night I preached on a subject that they were practicing. I was preaching on Psalm 1, and uh, they were really getting done. When we went there, there were so many teenagers, and they were so friendly. They would come up and greet us and talk to us. And I thought, wow, what's going on? So I asked the pastor, I said, what are you doing? He said, we have our teens memorizing scripture. I mean, really memorizing scripture while I preached on Psalm 1. And when we gave the invitation that night, the altar was packed with, with people. And I thought, wow, okay, Lord, so you've confirmed that with me. But where? So I came back to here, and two weeks later, I got a phone call from, uh, oh, a former uh, attendee at Market Manor. Um, and he said, hey, would you be interested in coming? I said, look. I've been praying about this, but I've got to pray and ask God's will because I'm teaching at the college and I have no intention of leaving unless the Lord makes it clear. And he began to do that months later, and so I went to Pastor Van and talked to him. To make a long story short, I ended up in Dayton, Ohio, pastoring again, taking a church that somebody else started 
He was the only pastor, had been there 21 years, and the Lord took us there for the next 10, a little over 10 years. My son-in-law was a student here. I had him for a student. He asked if he could come down and see the work. I said, sure. Well, he came down to see the work. He had no interest in my daughter, but he came down to see the work, and evidently the Lord began to deal with his heart about our daughter. Well, long story short, they got married, stayed in Dayton. He became a part-time assistant to me through the deacons, not me, and then he became the full-time assistant with me for about three years. And then when I had heart trouble, I thought, you know, I'm going to have to step down. That was a tough decision, but I know it was the Lord's leading and the Lord's will had no idea what God had in mind for me, but I'm not retired, okay? I'm a retread, all right? I'm just refired, doing different work. And one of them is doing inter- internships, which I hadn't planned on. I was traveling and speaking, doing some conferences, mission field, and so on. But then God opened up the door to do an internship, and that's been a tremendous blessing. Because I can go there and say, no, look, folks, I'm not your pastor. I don't intend to be your pastor, but I will pastor you when I'm here, okay? So we're in our second one, and I, again, I wasn't seeking that. They've called me about it, so we're enjoying it. We're back in our hometown where my wife and I graduated from college, Fairmont State College, which is now Fairmont State University, and um, the church I'm in is not the one I attended, but I knew some folks there, and I've got to know them well, and it's been great to be back to our old stomping grounds reconnected with some of the old folks we went to school with. You notice I say old folks that we used to go to school with, but anyway, and getting to know them, having lunch with them, and finding out some of those folks have gotten saved as well. That's exciting, amen? But uh, I enjoy coming back, and I've been coming back. I've only missed, I think, maybe, I don't know, two years coming back to teach. One year I went to India and taught, so I didn't schedule to teach here, and then it was a good thing I didn't because in March I came back and had a heart attack. I don't know if it's because I went to India or I didn't teach here. I'm not sure what the deal was, but anyway. So that kind of uh, interfered with my uh, teaching and preaching, but God brought me through that. I had the Widowmaker, same as your pastor did, and I had a 99% block and was in the process when they caught it and put a stent in. So now I have six stents. If you want to x-ray me, I don't know if I can get through the, the uh, airport without setting it off or not. I have six. But my neighbor there where I'm living has 28, so we're, we're not in the running, okay? But uh, God has been good keeping us going. And I'd love to come back and teach. You guys put a little fire in me. I always lo- love to come back and be here with Pastor Van and the folks and uh, you students and see the youth because I'm no longer young. I will be 72 in October. I am your pastor's senior in age, but I'm not his senior spiritually. He is my senior and I look up to him and appreciate him and his influence in my life and the ability and the opportunity I had to work with him. I thought I'd seen everything and heard everything in the ministry, but I was out visiting with our song director. He's the principal of the academy and the song director in the church. We were out visiting a week ago, Thursday, last Thursday. And uh, we were going through town and we were passing uh, down this street where they had a big parking lot. There was a Catholic church there and I'm not sure if the parking lot was connected to the church. It may have been. But he said they have an annual classic car drive. And well, I like classic cars. So he said he did too. So he went into this classic car drive to see the cars and so forth, him and the guy he was with. They got ready to leave and Joe Manchin uh, was there. And Joe Manchin waved him down. He said, well, what Joe Manchin? Joe Manchin is a senator from West Virginia, Democratic senator, the only man that stood up for 
President Trump during the State of uh, Union address, he knew he better stand up because the state had gone Republican. And so he figured I better stand. He was the only one standing. And, uh, but he was there and he flagged uh, Brother Dave down and said, hey, <clears throat> he rolled his window and wondered what he wants of me. He said, no, listen, if you get your car in line over here, there's a priest over there, uh, he's blessing the cars and he's anointing them with oil and sprinkling holy water on them. He said, if you get in line, you can get your car blessed and you won't be breaking down. I said, I don't believe it. He said, I didn't mean I didn't believe him. I said, I don't believe it. He said, you think I'd make this up? He said, they, they were actually doing this and people were getting their car in line and getting blessed, anointed, and, and sprinkled with holy water and I guess you never break down again, amen? I said, man, I thought I'd hurt the doll, but that took the cake. <laughs> Take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 6, please. Hebrews chapter 6. We're living in a day, folks, when people need hope. Hope. You work with people in the ministry, and uh, people have problems. I'm talking about Christians as well as the world. But in the days in which we're living in, it is very trying and it's very, very uncertain. Would you not agree? Very uncertain. This election is coming up. People are nervous. People are wondering what's going to happen if uh, the opposition get into rule. And I know we're all concerned about that, and that's why we're pushing people to vote, Christians to vote. We had a man uh, down at Grace here a couple of months ago, and he's going around the country trying to get pastors to uh, what you did here Sunday, get his people, uh, get their people registered to vote and get out and vote. In his process of crossing the country, he said there's about 40 million evangelical Christians that don't vote. Many of them are not even registered. Well, what if they would register and vote? What a difference that would make. So they're trying to get people out and do this. So there's a lot of uncertainty, and there's a lot of fear. Let's just face it. There's a lot of fears, with, even with Christians, of what's going to happen. But listen, <clears throat> God put us in this world after we're saved for a purpose. We're here for a reason, amen? There's a cause. And he left us here to carry on the Great Commission. The last thing he said before he left, he gave us the responsibility to reach this world with the gospel, amen? That's what you're here preparing for, to do that. And to recognize that God left us here, and there's a lot going on in our life while we're here. We're being uh, maturing and becoming more like Christ in our journey and in our uh, maturing as a Christian and what God is doing in our life with all the trials and afflictions that come and all of those things that are happening to us. But my friend, remember why you're here and remember where you are going. Now look at this text, beginning in verse 12, <clears throat> verse 13. For when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself saying, surely blessing I will bless thee and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, 
both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Young people, we have a hope, and the text tells us it's a sure and a steadfast hope. And what people need today, my friend, is hope, that there's something you can put your hope in, now, the kind of hope a lot of people have is what we would call wishful thinking. Well, I hope I passed that quiz this morning or the test that's coming up Friday. There's no absolute certainty about it unless you really do your job studying and working and getting prepared, right? So do it. But you're still maybe a little bit uncertain. Will I really make my grade or will I really pass it or will I make the grade I should be making on that test? And a lot of people have hope about that as far as the future is concerned, as far as eternity is concerned. But what God is talking about here, my friend, is not wishful thinking. This word hope, the word that the writer is using here, is a word which means confidence. It means expectation. It's something that's real, that's true, and it's going to happen. So you could say it is our confident expectation, my friend. No if, and, or but about it. When God says that he has given you a promise and backs it up with an oath, what more does he have to do? So what we're talking about here is God's word. Now, when I first got saved, I was saved in an old American Baptist church out in the country. The pastor preached the gospel, and he preached it hard. But he was a full-time worker, and he preached on uh, Sunday, Sunday night, and I think they had a Wednesday night. But they never discipled you. So I was saved in that church, and I believe I really got saved. And I know that my life changed, and there were things that happened in my life that I couldn't explain. And I knew, but I, nobody ever took the Bible, folks, sat down with me, explained the gospel, even the night I went to the altar. He just said, Bob, just pray and ask God to save you. And so I had no grounding. I had no training. I had no discipleship. And so my wife and I went to liberal churches trying to figure out where do we go to church. We'd take our Bibles. But nobody had their Bibles in those churches. So finally we quit taking our Bibles. I said, maybe you're not supposed to take your Bible to church. I don't know. Nobody told me what to do. And then somebody invited us to an independent fundamental Baptist church in Monongah, West Virginia. The speaker that night was a young evangelist. His name was Bill Rice III. And he skinned me that night. I got beat black and blue. And the first thing he did when he stood up is says, everybody got your Bible? Let's see your Bibles. And I'm like, I don't have a Bible. And all these Bibles. So we weren't discouraged. We said, we're going back tomorrow night. And we took our Bibles and went back. That was our introduction to independent fundamental Baptist churches. And we began to grow. We began to realize our lives, we need to really dedicate our lives to the Lord and really start living for him. And we did. Whatever God wanted us to do, we gave our lives to him, Lord, whatever you want me to do. Except I had this reservation in the back of my mind about pastoring or preaching. I thought maybe I'd teach or whatever. So I went to a seminary and got trained and it took me uh, four years to get a three-year program done. I crammed three years into four, but I finally got out of there. And God put us in a place to start a church with all my knowledge and all my experience and background. I mean, hey, piece of cake, right? I was green as green could be and starting a church. But God was in it. 
And everything that happened in that little town, and a lot sure happened, and God sure did some miracles in that town, but it was all God using somebody who's just willing to go and be used of God, young people. We gave our life to him. But I realized something about leading people to Christ. You don't just lead them to Christ. You've got to disciple them. And so I was committed to that. So I did it all for a while until you get people trained to do it. But I would uh, we'd win somebody to Christ. I would spend time. I would go to their house or have them at the church, and we would go through discipleship class. Because I never had that. But I realized the value and importance of it. And I say all that to say this. I wrestled with my salvation. The absolute assurance and certainty of it. I had doubts. And uh, I knew that my life had changed. I knew there was something happened to me. I can remember the night I went home from church one night from Monaga Baptist on Wednesday night. And I got down by my bed. My wife and I would read our Bibles and pray. She went to sleep. I couldn't go to sleep. I got down by my bed that night on my knees and I bowed my head and I said, Lord, I'm not sure that I'm saved. I think I am. But Lord, I trust you to be my Savior. I invite you into my life, my heart. And I'm going to tell you, young people, when I got off the floor that night and laid down on my bed, I was ecstatic. God did something for me and I knew it. When I got saved, I was expecting something to happen. I don't know, some great explosion. I didn't know what was supposed to happen when you got saved. But you know what happened when I got saved that night in that church? Nothing. But I knew I walked out of that church and I was different. And others knew I was different. Something had happened. But I was wrestling with assurance. It took some time, a few years before finally, and I, I know why the Lord allowed me to go through this now. But it was at one time, I can't remember when or the exact date, but I know the Holy Spirit spoke to me, not audibly, but he spoke to my heart and mind, and he said, your problem is not that you're not saved. Your problem is you are not taking God at his word. I thought, hmm, you're right. So if you're not taking God at his word, you're doubting him. That, my friend, is unbelief. So when I realized that, I got it settled. Amen? God said it, and that settles it. You take God at his word. Now look at the lengths God goes to in this text you find to give you the absolute assurance that this is a done deal. What God has done through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in that sacrifice on the cross, shedding his blood and paying the ransom, the price for your redemption. It was finished when he cried, it is finished. It's done. And what happened was he paid for your sin. He took your judgment. And when he offers to you salvation, it's the receiving of Christ by faith and what's in him. And that, my friend, is eternal life. And we now have this tremendous hope. That hope is talked about in the Bible on several occasions. Peter calls it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, a living hope, a lively hope. When he says in verse 3, Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us, that's the new birth, unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Paul in Titus 1-2 calls it a hope of eternal life. 
When he says, in hope of eternal life, life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. John calls it in 1 John 3, 3, a purifying hope. When he says in verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Go back to Philippians 3, 20 and 21 time, sometime and look at that. He's going to change this vile body into a glorious body like unto his body. Amen. Glorified. The body's not done yet, my friend. Spirit and soul, but the body is awaiting that day of the resurrection and the rapture. And my friend, when it comes, what a day that's going to be. Amen. That hope's going to become a reality. You're going to see him face to face. You're going to have a body like his, and you're going to live with him forever. Glory to God. Amen. Can you say hallelujah? Hallelujah. My friend, we have something to rejoice about. We got a hope that's absolutely certain. If you're struggling with your salvation, look, take God at his word. If you did what he said, you meant it, you were sincere and you're honest, and you went to the Lord for refuge and for salvation, and you ask, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He saved you. And you should have this hope. You have it whether you realize it or not. This hope that God has given us. In Titus 2.3, Paul calls it that blessed hope. Of the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Look, it doesn't matter what happens in this election. It does, but it doesn't as far as your eternity is concerned. It doesn't matter what's going on around you. God saved you. You have this hope. And it will be fulfilled sooner or later. It's going to become the visual reality. We already possess it. But we're going to see him face to face and be with him. So my friend, listen. Remember, whatever's going on around you does not take away from why God left us here. Amen? We have a mission We have a cause. We have a responsibility to God. We are his ambassadors. As though God himself did speak, we speak and give them the gospel. Are you doing it? I went out last night to run some errands. And uh, one thing I have endeavored to do for years is these things are in my pocket, not for dress. They're there to be used. God gave me three opportunities last night with clerks. When I give it to them now, Dr. Uh, Flanders challenged us here, I think it was three years ago. You give out a track, mention his name. I won't ask you how many of you do that, but I encourage you to do it. For the last three years, I've been doing this. Now, I gave out tracks, and I would mention Jesus occasionally, but I made it a point, almost without reserve. Every time I give a tract, I say, look, this will tell you about Jesus and how you can know for sure you're on your way to heaven. I got an op- opportunity last night with two of them. They opened up. They were open. Folks, people are open. People are concerned about what's going on. People are fearful. People are apprehensive. They don't know for sure. They're wondering. And some of the words I've seen in the news, like, like apocalyptic, I'm thinking, where are they getting that word from? They're thinking. It gives you an opportunity to tell them about salvation, how to be saved, how to know they're going to heaven. And that's what I tell them. 
And then I said, no, look, because you, you can't take their time away from working to go through all the gospel. But my friend, give them as much as you can. Amen? Wet their appetite. And some of them want to know more. I said, there's a phone number on the back. It's the phone number of the church here that you can call if you have some questions, want some help. Amen? Look, we're on duty at all times. There's no reserve in this. We've got to be doing it. And notice, Paul, uh, excuse me, the writer of Hebrews here is giving us some absolute assurance about this thing. Now look at the text here. You see that God gives us a model, an, a, an example to follow. But I want you to look at verse 11 and 12 first. Let's go back there for a moment. Look what the writer's saying to us, to the hearers, the audience of his day, but to us today. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. My friend, be patient, be faithful, be diligent. It's going to happen sooner or later. Amen? Oh, but pastor, it's been 2,000 years. Not to God. Not to God. Time is no uh, matter to God as far as he's concerned. It is for us. He's put us in time. A thousand years is as a day to him. A day is as a thousand years. So for the Lord, it's been a couple days. Amen? But we're down there thinking, oh, Lord, 2000, when's he coming? He will come. Amen? Amen? He will come when the time is right. He's not going to be a second late or a second early. It'll be right exactly at the, the time God says it's time. And he will break forth in the clouds with a shout. The voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And folks, when it does, we're going out of here. You better be ready. Amen? You're not going to have time to do anything. In the twinkling of an eye, that's the twinkle of the pupil in the eye. That's not the batting of the eyelid. That's the twinkle in the pupil. It's fast. You're going to enter so fast your head will swim. Amen? You're going to be on planet Earth and in no time you're going to be right there with him, with everybody else. What a day that's going to be. Look, we have a hope, friend. We have a hope. Look at what God said about Abraham in verse 13. But when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, because there is no greater than God. Isaiah, read chapter Isaiah, uh, chapter 40 through 45, and what God says about himself. He said, look, I know of no other God. You know why he doesn't know of any other God? Because God knows everything. Because there is no other he is the greater. He is the greatest. Contrary to what Ali thought. I am the greatest. No, no. God is the greatest. He's the greatest of all. And because there was nobody greater, he swore by himself to Abraham. So he backs up that promise that he gave him with an oath. I swear to you. Notice what he said saying, surely blessing, I will bless thee, and multiplying, I will multiply thee. Now, I want you to see how Abraham handled that. Go back to Romans chapter 4 very quickly here. And look what Paul said about this promise that God gave to Abraham. Paul says in verse 20, he said, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. That word stagger 
is the idea of to hesitate, to waver, to begin to doubt. And Paul says, when God gave that promise to this man, no problem. God said it. And he took him at his word. He did not waver. He did not hesitate. But was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And God imputed that to him for righteousness. That word impute simply means to place to his account the righteousness, not his, but the Lord Jesus. Just like you and I, when we got saved, there was a transaction that took place. And what happened on our debit side, the debt was erased. But on our credit side, there was placed to our account the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen? It's not ours, it's his. But it is ours. We possess his righteousness. And my friend, that's what's going to get you into heaven. It's not your works. It's his. Now, works are important after you get saved, but not to get into heaven. The works are important for your rewards, what you're going to have at the judgment seat of Christ. And they're put to the test to see what rewards you will get. But let's go down now. So he uses Abraham as a model, as an, as a, an example for us. But now look at verse 15. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. So he patiently endured this. He waited with patience. He was convinced, persuaded, this is going to happen. He trusted God. He took God at his word, my friend. And he knew God doesn't lie. As Paul said in Titus chapter 1, verse 3, God who cannot lie. But you'll see it again in this text. Now verse 16. He said, now listen, for men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. He said, men would take men at their word. They swear by the greater, those who are greater. And sometimes in the old court system here, when you would go to be a witness on the witness stand, the clerk would bring a Bible. You had to put your hand on the Bible, and he would ask you, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? They don't do that anymore, do they? that I know of. I think they leave God out. But you had to swear by that. You were swearing by the greater. And he says, men will swear by the greater, and that an oath for confirmation was an end of all strife. In other words, men took men at their word. There was a day in this country, your word was the, the sealing of the deal, not the signing of a contract. You backed your word up. And men would take men at their word. Now watch this. Look at verse 17. Wherein God himself, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. You know, this is a powerful passage, friend, of what God has done to assure us of how sure this is of what he's promised and what we have and that it will be completed and fulfilled. So he uses Abraham as an example for us. But now God gives the assurance to the heirs of that promise. That includes us, my friend. Abraham, the father of the faithful, the father of faith. And he is our example and our model to follow. 
So men swear by the greater. And God says, well, let me tell you something. I'm willing to do that. So I've given you the promise, but I'm backing up that promise with those. Let me ask you a question. What more does God have to do to convince us? Amen? What more? You got his word to begin with, I promise. That should settle it. But God goes a step further. He says, I swear to you, I back this promise up with an oath. And those things, as the writer says in verse 18, are two immutable things. Immutability. They cannot be changed. They will never be changed. It is settled. <laughs> I'm telling you, friend, believe what God says, take him at his word, and rest in that. Amen? Rest in it. But don't be resting from what you should be doing. Amen? We're here for a reason. We're here for a cause. And we're here to be serving the Lord Jesus Christ and fulfilling the great commission that he's given us to do. The Messianic hope is not just for the Israelites, the saved Israelites. It's for us too, heirs of that promise, God's willingness to do that. And notice what he says about it. That two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation. That word consolation means encouragement. God has given us a strong encouragement to those who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope which is set before us. That hope which is set before us. Fled for refuge to the Savior. He saved us. He said, you call and I'll save. And so he saved us. Amen. You saved this morning, born again, redeemed. Well, if you turned to Christ and fled to him and you called on him and you asked him and you received him, he saved you. And friend, that is settled. The assurance of one's salvation. I know. I struggled with that until the Holy Spirit said, look, take God at his word. And that settles it, friend. Amen. That settles it. And that gives us strong encouragement. For we fled for refuge to lay hold of that hope. Now that doesn't mean we're trying to catch it and get a grab it. That word lay hold on is the idea of get a grasp on this. In other words, get a handle of this. It's yours. You've got it. Get a hold of this truth and rest in it. Because it's true. It's real. Amen? This is a real thing. We're not talking about hope that will someday, I think, I'll get it. No, no, no. You've got it. You have this hope now. We're looking for the fulfillment of it in reality when we see him and see him personally, face to face. But notice what he goes on to say in verse 19. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, an anchor. In the Greek society, the anchor was a symbol of hope to them. Paul, when he was on that cruise on the Mediterranean for 14 days and nights, free, all expenses paid. What a trip. It was a trip, man. But as they're nearing land and they're, they're testing the 
uh, depth and find out they're getting close to land. So they say, we got to do something. So they cast out the four anchors. And those anchors anchored that ship. No, no, well, remember this. They're in the midst of a storm. This storm is still raging. And you'll see it when they get to land and try to take it into that inlet where that stream is coming out. And they miss it. And they ram that boat into shore. The winds did. And the waves break the hinder part, the rear of that ship. It just shatters it. But now here's a ship in this storm. The storm is raging about them. Those waves. But those anchors, my friend, stopped that ship and kept it in place until he had to lift anchors and go, go forward. Now he's telling you that this hope is an anchor. Steadfast and sure, or sure and steadfast. Sure, it means it's safe. Steadfast, it's unmovable. You remember 1 Corinthians 15, 58? Be ye steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen? Be steadfast. Don't be wishy-washy, vacillating, back and forth. James tells you about that. That's not belief. That's unbelief. We have absolute assurance from our God. Now notice where this hope is at. Which hope is we have as an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil. What is he talking about? Going behind that veil in the temple and tabernacle, they had it down here on earth. That veil separated the holy place from the holy, holiest of all. Nobody went back in that holy, holiest of all but the high priest once a year. But when Christ died, the veil was rent. When Christ ascended back from, to heaven from down here, he went within the veil to the holiest of all to sit at the right hand of his Father. And my friend, that's where he's at right now. So what the author is telling us here, this hope we have, it's within the veil. Whether the forerunner is for us entered, Jesus, our intercessor, our advocate, our high priest, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Listen, our hope, my friend, is in Jesus Christ. In fact, our hope is Christ. And without him, you're nothing. You have nothing. But because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us, my friend, when you accepted him as your Savior, you got what was in him. This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. This life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. These things have I written unto you that you might, that you may know that you have eternal life. And that blessed hope of one day he's coming for you. Amen? He's coming for us. He's promised. He promised you if you call upon him, repent and call upon him for salvation, he would save you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, you can count on this. I'll be back. I will come and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. Folks, that's the blessed hope. That's this hope of eternal life. That's his purifying hope. That's this hope that God has given us. It is a confident expectation. We're not hoping. We are expecting our Savior 
to come. And guess what? He's going to come. When? Well, I don't know about you, but it looks to me like things are getting ready, don't you believe? What did the author mean when he said in, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, and so much the more as you see what? What did he mean? When you see that day approaching. Obviously he meant you can see that day approaching, did he not? So how is that? Things that are taking place according to God's word. I think there has to be a preparation for it. For the coming of Antichrist, the coming of the tribulation period. There has to be prep done. And perhaps that's what we're watching. I don't know. I'm not a prophet. Are you? <laughs> but I know this. He's given us some ideas. Some things to be watching for. And my friend, if he don't come soon, well, we're going to go through a lot perhaps. But it doesn't matter what we go through. We're here to be a witness, to be an ambassador, to give whoever it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our responsibility, to win them to Christ and disciple them and prepare them and equip them for the work of the ministry, to carry on what we've been doing. God, help us to be faithful. Father, thank you for your word and how true it is and how sure it is. And we thank you for this hope that is sure and it's steadfast. And Lord, we know one day we will see you in death or at your coming. But even in death, we'll come back with you to receive the finishing. And that is the raising of the body to be glorified and to be reunited with it once again. So Lord, help us to be like Abraham who patiently endured until he received the promise. And we'll thank you in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.